Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Chicago zone back to Besser to the goal deep to the back end tries to tuck it in from below the goal line it's loose and Dakota Joshua scores nobody tanks because we have a weighted lottery Miller into the slot for drives one timer missed the net Garland sends it out front drives on the rebound scores between his legs you're not going to lose games to increase your odds by a couple of percentage points that's silly Horvat who shoots for the empty net he scores nobody tanks our players and our coaches do their best to win Good morning, Vancouver. Six o'clock on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet. Six fifty. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. A dog. Good morning to you. Good morning, Laddie. Good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Uh, Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, you are the self-appointed king of orthotics, the prince of footwear. And that is because of your undying relationship with Kintec. So tell the people more, Jason Bruff, about we are, Kintec. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec footwear and orthotics. I love how you're just desperately trying to not- How's that for unpredictability, you <laughs> jerk? Desperately. Every day you're just going to add another title to his yeah. orthotics tag? No. So I got a lot of different nicknames. Dr. Foot. That's one that I haven't used yet. You're workshopping. You're workshopping it, I assume. Dr. Kintech Foot. Footwear and Orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Uh, really big show. Really big show on a Wednesday today on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The guests begin at 6.30. David Amber, Hockey Night Canada, Sportsnet NHL host is going to join us. Whip around the NHL. A couple Canadian teams in action last night, including your Vancouver Canucks. Half the people in this studio right now were at the game last night. 50% of the Halbro show went to support the boys last night at Rogers Arena. Uh, did you have fun, Andy? You were in the, the encore oh, uh, yeah. suite, right? So you, oh, you, were, yeah. you were eating well. The uh, food was great. They had I, ice cream. I was right next door to you in what's called the Champions Club. Really? And we look at the Encore people as kind of like, <laughs> really? kind of want to be champions. You were there and you didn't come and say hello, eh? Uh, didn't want to mingle with the I did the not, plebs. Not, not, not with the Encore people. Yeah. It's like it's like, <laughs> a like what's that smell at the Encore suite? <laughs> it's like the curtain they put up. Do over there. <laughs> it's like the curtain they put up in the airplane. You don't go back to economy. <laughs> what is that misty fog in that room over there? Anyway, um, David Amber is going to join us at six thirty. <laughs> uh, what did you want to add in? On the, we can talk about the game in a sec. I'll no, I was just I was going to ask Andy. Did you stay the whole time? Because I left a oh, little bit early, so I could uh, I could when when uh, I missed yeah, the did. I missed the empty netter. I saw uh, the fourth goal, and I was like, "Well, the Canucks have got this because they got Rick Tockett, and I'm not worried about blowing leads because I have bought into this after one game against the Chicago Blackhawks. Let's go, Canucks!" Yeah, you know, I mean, the first two periods were. Painful, but uh, the third period was was decent. It was entertaining. You mean they were painful? What? I, painful. I, I didn't say I had a great time watching that hockey game for the first two periods. He did it not was, care uh, for the style oh, of play. It was a little, uh, yeah. It wasn't. Uh, were, were were you like normally the goalie gets more action in this end? I wouldn't say it was enthralling, but the third period was exciting. Okay. You know. By the way, Andy stayed till the bitter end. He actually just got here five minutes ago. He encore clubbed overnight. So six thirty, David Amber is going to join us on the program. Seven thirty, Jeff Baker. No rest for the Vancouver Canucks after beating uh, the Chicago Blackhawks last night. The Canucks are in action tonight, 7 o'clock, from Seattle. Jeff Baker, of course, covers the Kraken for the Seattle Times. We'll talk to him about – I want to talk to him about Shane Wright. I want to talk to him about what they're going to do at the deadline. And something – I wasn't even on my radar, but doing the research last night, he wrote about how the Kraken have gotten much better on the ice. Uh, The attendance has been good, but their TV numbers stink. Like, they're really poor. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, so we'll talk to Jeff about that at 7.30. Uh, 8 o'clock, Chris Faber, who apparently dressed like Drake last night, I've been told. What? The Rock. How? Uh, he wore the uh, turtleneck with the gold chain 
With the blazer over top? Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the Drake look. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, so Faber is Drake. Drake is Faber. We've made that connection before. Uh, we'll also talk to Faber, aside from fashion, about the Vancouver Canucks. Touch in on the Abbotsford Canucks as well. That's at 8 o'clock. So, working in reverse, 8 o'clock, Chris Faber. 7.30, Jeff Baker. Uh, and 6.30, David Amber. I mentioned the Canucks and Kraken, 7 o'clock from Seattle tonight. Four other NHL games, three of which have Canadian teams. Uh, two of the more disappointing teams in the NHL go up against one another. It's the Islanders and the Sens. A uh, good one uh, between the Leafs and the Rangers. And then you have the Columbus Blue Jackets, who the Canucks will play on Friday. And the Edmonton Oilers. There's a bunch of other sports as well. Ten NBA games and the Aussie Open quarters. But uh, forget all that for now, because we need to tell you what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? As mentioned, Canucks win. Canucks win. Rick Tockett wins in his coaching debut. Vancouver Canucks take care of a not-so-good call uh, Chicago Blackhawks team. Uh, 5-2 at Rogers Arena on Tuesday. Uh, Dakota Joshua scored. Sheldon Dry scored. Uh, Kuzmenko scored twice, and then his agent followed up with yet another tweet featuring a picture of his client and a money bag emoji. He is on his way to getting paid. And the Canucks, for one night anyway... I don't want to say it was all roses at Rogers Arena, but there were a few. And in the end, it's a 5-2 victory against a pretty poor opponent. Uh, we got to see some of the displays of what Rick Talk at hockey might look like. And we get to see it again tonight when the Canucks will take on the Kraken. Back-to-back uh, -back nights, uh, this time at Climate Pledge Arena. So I think the question we have to ask ourselves, uh, at the very least, just to kill this show... Yeah, is what did last mean? La what did it mean last night? Like, what what can we take from that? Because two points. Uh, the overwhelming response that I saw was like, yeah, it was the Blackhawks, and, and they're awful. And yet, for me, I don't think it would be fair to just or interesting just to say, oh, it's the Blackhawks, whatever. Like, it was more to me like the extent that the Canucks controlled that game. Not that they just controlled that game. Even Drance, who I'm sure feels that that game meant nothing, was tweeting out some stats last night um, just about how dominant the Canucks were and how good defensively they were. This is his tweet, Drance's tweet. The Canucks permitted just 15 scoring chances against the Blackhawks on Tuesday night according to Natural Stat Trick. That's their stoutest, Drant's word, mm -hmm. defensive effort of the season to this point. And he was even saying, like, league-wide, you do not see many games where you're dominating the opponent and limiting the opponent to so little. Yeah. Now, we went into this game going, the Blackhawks are one of the worst defensive teams or offensive teams in the NHL. And we had Mark Lazarus on uh, Lazarus on yesterday and he was saying like at five on five they're terrible they, they they just can't produce anything that was proven accurate and I think I think we saw that and other people will say there's a reason that that was Rick Tockett's first game as head coach behind the bench That's right good so there, well, there's yeah. so there's there is all sorts of like there is definitely a major point to be made by saying like hey Let's not get too excited. It was Chicago. This was the perfect training wheels game for the Vancouver Canucks yeah. to roll out their new defensive mindset. But I think you can also say, hey, what a great start for Rick Tockett behind the bench. It started out, uh, Andy, I'm sure you heard the boos for him when oh, his, his name was announced. I wouldn't say it was like... Jersey toss like four minutes into the game too. Yeah, was I was going to get to that. Um, when, when he, like, w when he was announced, it wasn't like the loudest boo you'll ever, it wasn't like, and here's Brad Marchand, it was right? Mixed. Like, it was mixed. It was mixed. Um, and, but you could definitely hear it. Um, as you mentioned, right off the bat, there was a jersey on the ice and it was right by the Canucks bench. Yes. So they all saw that. Yes. That's how it started. Like it was, it was an interesting start. And then Luke Shen got a breakaway. I was like, what is going on here? What kind of parallel universe are we in here? Blackhawks um, actually had a lead. Mentioned that as well. Yeah, it, they it was did. an inauspicious start, I would say, at the very onset of the game. All right, I remember watching it and just kind of being like, hmm, well, this is going to be a little interesting because. On the ice, though, I think I thought they dominated them to start. And then mm -hmm. the, the Chicago goal, which came on a Patrick Kane wrist shot from the point that Colin Delia was, 
either really badly screened on or or should have stopped, um, definitely came against the flow of play. I mean, there's no question about that. Frankly, I watched that game, and I think the Canucks should have had a shutout. Like, the two goals that were allowed, um, you know, Laddie, I, I don't know what you think about that first goal. I think an NHL goalie has got to find a way to save that, even though he was screened. It's a high wrist shot from the point. Find a way to see that mm-hmm. and and save it. And then the second goal I thought was stoppable as well. My advice would be to play bigger. <laughs> play bigger. You're hoping for a little more battle through the screen, I guess, from the goaltender? Just find or? it. you got to find yeah. a way, right? Like, the, Colin Delia, I mean, we're still dealing with a guy in Delia who should not be in the NHL, right? Can we all agree with that? Like, he's an agree. AHL goalie I would agree with point? that. I could argue he could still play for the Blackhawks. Sure, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, the, Peter Mrazek was really good for, for the Hawks. I mean, he made how, 43, 43, 43 I mean, that's incredible, right? Is Andre Kuzmenko maybe the best player on earth? Yeah, we should get to that oh, in we a moment. talk about that? Yeah. Um, we can go there now. Look, well, I, I, actually, on, I'd on, like, like to stop. I'd like, I'd like to hear from Rick Tockett. Yeah, no, we need to talk about, God, deal with Dealey and talk about Tockett. We need better names on this team. Uh, we do need to discuss Rick Tockett because the reality of this is, I think you laid it out quite adequately. Uh, <laughs> it was... You're not going to get a ton out of one game where the guys only had 48 hours to prep his team, but there were takeaways from it, and some of those important takeaways are from the head coach himself. So here is Rick Tockett in the aftermath of him winning in his debut as Vancouver Canucks head coach, 5-2 over the Chicago Blackhawks. Well, it's, play, it's not me. As a player, like kind of bought in. You know, it's been some tough circumstances the last few days, and uh, there was a lot of emotions and you know head spinning. I thought those guys did a nice job for the last few days, and I threw a lot of System, not so much system stuff, but some stuff at them today with longer means that I like to. And for them to take it in and, and uh, play good, I thought it was a – I commend the players. One thing that I think he threw at them pregame and then threw at the media postgame was keep them shift shorts, boys. Like, that was definitely a message that was about to be hammered home. Now, you would think that that was something that most of the guys would have had in their arsenal. Maybe we don't take a minute, minute 20 <laughs> – Maybe we don't stay out there when we're, you know, tired. And to the point of blacking out. Maybe, maybe we try and have something in reserve. So Tockett mentioned it several times in the aftermath. He thought when the Canucks got a little bit antsy against the Blackhawks, his words, not mine, it had to do with the fact that their shift length was extending beyond the 30 to 40 seconds, and that's when they started to get in trouble. Now, this might seem like an obvious thing. This might seem like something that everyone knows. Like, when you're tired... You should go for a change. Mm -hmm. And maybe instead of trying to extend the shift as you get more and more tired because you want to do something, you can put the puck in deep, get a change, and allow someone who is not tired to come out and have their turn on the ice. I was reading IMAX piece uh, following the game, and... You know, it, it, it's we we've criticized the Canucks all season for making like pee wee level or beer league mistakes. Mm-hmm. So when they clean up those mistakes, we should probably just be like, "Hey, good for them," as opposed to like continuing to make fun of them. But <laughs> you know, IMAX got this part where he's like, "If you if you want an idea of what Talkit is looking for, consider the line change JT Miller made in the second period." Um, he. He carried the puck into the Blackhawk zone and pulled up at the sideboard. Seeing no safe passing options, he dumped the puck behind the Chicago net and skated across the ice to change after a 45-second shift, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Kuzmenko then tied the game uh, 2-2, and then he's got a quote from Tockett here. The coaches, we were pretty excited about that one. That's the stuff I'm talking about. You change when you're a little tired. Garbage in, garbage can, right? Like I feel like you know, like these are the these are like this is the Homer and Marge doing the parenting classes thing, right? That that we were kind of making fun of. It's like, wait a minute, instead of a what a blind back pass into the middle of the ice when you're tired, you actually what just chip it in, make the responsible play, make the safe play. Put your garbage in a garbage can, people. I can't stress that enough. Don't just Throw it out the window. Makes sense. Yeah, don't just throw it out the window or don't just throw the puck into the middle of the ice and hope for the best. That was my big takeaway from what Talkin had to say. I'm like, wait a minute. 
this feels like remedial hockey here. Is this what all these meetings are about? <laughs> J- JT Miller had this back check where he, towards the end of the game, I think, where he broke up this defensive play, and it was actually a great play by Miller, and I couldn't believe what I was watching. I was like, that is incredible. Yeah, his no pad out. I don't think Line he's done change, that all year. Line tired. Yeah. So, okay. so Stop was... opponent from scoring goals. Yeah. Did oh, you... yeah, that makes sense. Did you guys notice when he blocked the blocked the uh, shot on the penalty kill? I think it was in the first period. Yes. And then it went the other way for a scoring chance. Yeah. That might have been the Luke Shen breakaway. I can't remember. He but there very was some good defensively. But like it was funny. So I was with um Chad. I was with two Chads and a Brad last night. One wow. Chad being Chad Day, our sales guy, and then Chad and Brad. Chad and Brad from the hockey shop in Langley, who I'd never met before and are great guys, really know their hockey. And there were a couple times in the first period where the Canucks made nice, clean breakups of the Blackhawks attack and then went immediately the other way for a scoring chance. And we were all kind of like, hmm, that's interesting. You play defense and sometimes it can lead to offense. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, what yeah, what a down. novel concept that is. Yeah. Uh, Jim and White Rock writes in. I'll read this. This is okay. Uh, it's an interesting negative narrative, narrative you guys are going with this morning. They didn't win because they simply tried harder or because they played Chicago. And then in brackets, he writes, Chicago could have won. Jim, you are wrong. Chicago literally could not have won that game. I know every game is winnable. That one was not. They were bad. Uh, you could see that they're playing with a new system, almost trap-like in the neutral zone. And their breakout plays were so much better than they've been all year. There was only one instance where OEL tried to play up the middle, and it didn't work. That was it for sloppy play. We've they look like they remembered how hockey was supposed to be played. We've just said that the whole time. Yeah. I'm, I'm pushing back on the notion that, oh, it was only Chicago. I'm talking about, do you know how many times the Canucks have played a bad team this season and still looked awful defensively? And lost the game. I thought it was the perfect start for Rick Tockett. And while we have to keep the opponent in mind, don't throw everything out about that game. I, I don't know what to say. Like, I think that the Canucks dominated a bad team. As they should. Right. But but it was, they were, the, they, it they, was they, guys, yeah. it was the way they dominated them. Mm-hmm. They've, they've played bad teams before this season and allowed multiple goals against, multiple terrible defensive breakdowns right from the very start. Mm-hmm. They took care of it. They took care of the Chicago Blackhawks. They took care of their own end. They didn't give up much. Now, does it prove anything huge? No. It's just one game. They got Seattle tonight. That'll be different. That's a different opponent. And then they got Columbus on Friday, which, in theory, they should dominate again like they dominated the Chicago Blackhawks. But you got to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. you got to start somewhere. Their whole thing with hiring Rick Tockett, their whole thing with Rick Tockett is defend better, play more responsible hockey, um, give up less, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah, yeah. it's the Blackhawks, but I'm not, I don't throw everything out from that game just because of the opponent. Okay, uh, another big talking point from last night was Andy's favorite player, Andre, yeah. Andre Kuzmenko. Kuzmenko scored two goals. That gives him 20 on the season. The stat that was making the rounds last night, Kuzmenko is now the third fastest Canuck in franchise history to 20 goals. PD did it in 37 games. Besser did it in 37 games, and now Kuzmenko's done it in 46. It's been a pretty impressive year. I'd say a very impressive year. And his agent, Diamond Danny Milstein, uh, made sure that everyone knew that Andre Kuzmenko was having a good year when yesterday, after the game, he tweeted out a big picture of Andre Kuzmenko with the money bag emoji underneath it. This is not the first time that Milstein has done this. And... I know you tweeted about this last night. I was kind of it was kicking around in my in my mind grapes about the re-signing of Andre Kuzmenko because I think this is the this is the perfect debate fodder for sports talk radio because there's two very obvious sides to take here. One is that you have to keep this guy. He's been great. He's maybe been the brightest part of your season, given you didn't know what to expect, and he's played so well, and he's got great chemistry with Petey. Then the other side of it is that you absolutely cannot keep this guy because you have so many other things that you need to fix and you don't need another goal-scoring winger on the team. And I understand both. And I would like to say, for the sake of being a neutral, I have no idea what to do with Andre Kuzmenko right now. He's he's busting up my brain. Well, here's your your excuse. 
Here's your excuse. I'll give you a good excuse for being Halford and not having an opinion on this. Uh-huh. We don't know what he's going to sign for if he does sign with the Vancouver Canucks. Apparently, it's an actual sack of money. Yeah, okay. With a dollar sign on the We front. don't know how big the cap hit is. And I think more importantly, given his age, he's young, but not super young. Like, he's around Horvat's age, right? Like, he's around Horvat's age. Yes. So, um, we don't know the term. Right? Like there is a there is a there is a notion here in Vancouver, and I, and probably for good reason that whenever a Canuck signs a contract, either as like a free agent or an extension, like that contract automatically becomes negative value. Sure. Like that doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes there are teams that sign guys to reasonable contracts because they like the team, they like their situation, they like the city, mm-hmm. and they're willing to take less to play in that city. Um, and you know, like we don't know about trade protection on the contract, which makes a huge deal. It's a, yeah. it's a big deal. Like we don't know, we don't know anything about the contract because the contract hasn't been signed. It's just an idea right now. Mm-hmm. The other thing we don't know, and I think this is very important to note, is we don't know what Kuzmenko could garner on the trade market. I know. Like I've heard people saying, in theory, Kuzmenko should be worth more than Bo Horvat. At the trade deadline, because Bo Horvat's got not a massive cap hit, but a significant cap hit that is going to be tough to fit in on some teams, whereas Kuzmenko is making, like, basically league minimum, so mm-hmm. any team could fit him in. Yes. Right? So, but I, I still have trouble believing that. I still have trouble believing that NHL GMs, knowing NHL GMs, are going to give up more for Kuzmenko than they would for Horvat, just because Horvat's a more proven entity in the NHL. He also plays center. He's played in the playoffs before. Not much, but he's played in the playoffs before. I think he, he, I think he, the, I think the point of that exercise is just to say like Kuzmenko has not just good value going into this deadline, great value. Like it might not be the booty of like the war chest of returns that Horvat's going to get you, mm-hmm. but he can't because when you talk about now, well, what happens if they move Horvat, Kuzmenko, and don't forget Luke Shen? Like it's crazy with all the bad contracts the Canucks have, they may have two of the best ones in currently going in this trade market with Kuzmenko and Shen. So if you're able to move those guys, you really do have to wonder about the possibilities of how thoroughly could you kickstart whatever it is the front office wants to do right I think that's the big thing Mm -hmm. is when Jim Rutherford says we need major surgery and and we've said I don't know um how long they anticipate this procedure to take like I think I think major surgery coincides with turning things around faster than people expect yeah. So if you emergency major surgery, yeah, does that exist? <laughs> I don't. I'm not a doctor. Has to be done now. Yeah. Does trading a guy like Kuzmenko affect getting more players like him down the line, like bringing in UFAs of that fashion? If you're going to move the guy within that first season on the team, like, like would that happen? Are you talking about getting a guy to the Europe? Yeah, just just in general, would moving Kuzmenko think, damage no, the relationship and getting no, other players? Andy, Alex, I've Andy, heard that narrative. Do you think? Before. Do you think any potential? People are looking at the Kuzmenko situation and going, "Boy, I bet he regrets going to Vancouver." He made the guys to, yeah. getting the guys going to be loaded soon, right? Yep. Like they put him in a great position to succeed. They mm-hmm. put him on the power play. They most importantly put him on Pedersen's line. I think this is a feather in the cap for the Vancouver Canucks in terms of attracting those types of players. It's like uh, uh, I would almost like compare it to like college football. It's like why do people go to Alabama? Mm-hmm. Well, because they end up in the NFL. They're a good springboard to making a, a lot of money in the NFL. Like, right? That's that's a really good point. And I think Chicago, to a certain degree, used to do that with free agents and young guys coming in and then Panarin, right? It's like, well, you know how you want to get real good is play with Patrick Kane for a little bit. and It'll boost your numbers. And then maybe you can get paid elsewhere, right? Could you have a trade and sign scenario with Kuzmenko? Like potentially people have been saying with Shen, would that be a thing? No. Like coming that, or, back? If he, or if he's gone, he's gone kind of thing. He's gone. He's gone. Yeah. They'll either try and – it's very, like, black and white in that regard. I think they'll either sign him or mm. try to sign him, and then they'll acknowledge that it probably doesn't work within their price points, price range, mm. you know, cap, and then they'll I think on, they're going right? to keep him, by the way. I think they're, they're going to keep him. Patrick Alvin has been watching this guy for a long time. He brought Kuzmenko. I'm not. This is not an endorsement. I know. As usual. I was just going to say. Not, I, th- I, th- I, think I think you're. I think you're right. I think right. they're going to keep him. I, I think, think you're right. Yeah. I also think it's. I don't. Th- it narrow, depends on the contract. I, it, it, yeah, I don't even think that it does. I think that if you just look at this team, mm-hmm. 
what even if it's I guess if it's a bargain bargain, but if it's going right, you just have to say like, okay, that's not where we need to spend money. It's just not. Well, they're right? gonna need wingers though. Be, yes, they do. But you, you know, Mike, like grand, everyone's like, oh, they scheme. already got wingers. Well, they're gonna try and trade Besser. They're gonna try and trade Garland. Like those guys probably won't be back. And I know you're yelling right now, like it shouldn't matter about next season, but it it does. It does. Like we're yeah. trying to predict what's going to happen, and sure, there's an element of what should happen. Mm-hmm. But what's going to happen is they're going to try and remain as competitive as they can. Yeah. Jim yeah. Rutherford himself said, "We want to turn this team around in a year or two. They didn't hire Rick Tockett to like hang out for a bit. They 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 hired him to try and teach this team to defend, so that next season they can be a better team and." Make a push for the playoffs. Um, now, people will be like, I'm in Groundhog Day. Like, yeah, you are, right? But eventually, you know what? Bill Murray found a way out of that. Uh, you mentioned Besser and Garland. We can address this before we go to break because this stat was making the rounds yesterday. I think this was our very own Satyar Shah that threw this out on Twitter. Uh, after last night's game, Sheldon Dries and Dakota Joshua have now combined for 13 goals this year. Brock Besser and Connor Garland have combined for 17. Like, that is a jarring number mm-hmm. that those two guys have four more collective goals than Dries, which who shouldn't even really be on the team. He just kind of. Are we four- doing Dries or Dries? Dries, sorry. I don't know. Anyway, and Joshua, <laughs> who has gone long stretches this season without scoring, I think he's been a consistent fourth line contributor. Like, it is, it is damning to their overall value yeah. in a market where money is tight. Mm hmm. To try and suggest that they'll just be traded away. Because I don't think it's going to be that easy. I don't know where their value is. But I'll tell you this. With every game, it feels like it's getting lower and lower. Uh, The ice time time was interesting last night. Um, Only one guy played very little minutes. And that was William Lockwood. Who skated for just 6 minutes and 14 seconds. Uh, everyone else was at least into the double digits. Uh, the next guy was Curtis Lazar, eleven forty-five. Bo Horvat played almost twenty-four minutes, which I thought was interesting because Rick Tockett seemed to suggest that he didn't want, especially his forwards, to be playing all that much. Mm-hmm. J.T. Miller was below twenty minutes, nineteen minutes and sixteen seconds for J.T. Miller. Um, the top defenseman was actually O.E.L who played quite well, uh, 23 minutes and 27 seconds. Um, the It was funny. <laughs> I was kind of looking forward to watching them kill penalties because I wanted to see who would come out on the ice. And the first two forward pairs were Horvat and Petey. Yeah. And and I wonder if, like, I know Tockett wants to uh, have different penalty killers, but I wonder if he kind of, like, looked at the lineup after he said that and was like, oh, wait a minute. I don't know who's going to do that. I thought it was because right? he, I thought it was because on the list of things he needed to fix, he couldn't get all the way down to the penalty kill in time for Tuesday's game. He's like, we had all these meetings. We couldn't get to the PK one. So I do wonder if he's like, uh, just do what you did last game. We'll figure it out next game. What's I, funny is there were only three Canucks, only three that didn't see any PK time. Now, granted, like, Dries saw nine seconds out there on the PK and Lockwood 38 seconds. But there were a lot of penalty killers out there. The three guys who did not kill penalties were Andre Kuzmenko, Connor Garland, and Brock Besser. Uh, so there's your Canucks talk for now. We'll get back to it later on. We've got an open segment at 7 o'clock where we'll get back into more of last night. We can also look ahead to tonight's game because no rest for the weary. The Vancouver Canucks will take on the Seattle Kraken in Seattle tonight. Andy, you wanted me to mention the ticket giveaway? Yes, we're giving away a pair of tickets today for the game against uh, Columbus on Friday. So hashtag WWL, ticket emoji, give us your best what we learned. Okay, so we'll be giving away those later. Coming up next, it is going to be David Amber, Sportsnet, Hockey Night Canada, NHL host. Will join us. Some big games last night in the National Hockey League. Some big games tonight as well. We'll whip around the NHL specifically with the Canadian teams and talk to David coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. No, we need to talk about, God, deal with Dealey and talk about talk it. We need better names on this team. There's no question that, that PD is the vocal point on this team and he has to be. 
but again, you need to fix JT. Uh, you need to get him on a page. He's a very, very important piece on this team. He's signed long term, um, so you need it. But there's no question that that PD will be the vocal point for this franchise. 6.35 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 6.50. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, that voice you heard coming back from break, that was of Yannick Hansen on this station yesterday. Uh, talking about the... Look, I'll say this. The Canucks have provided a myriad of stories and narratives and things to discuss in a season where they won't be going to the playoffs. And we're still trying to figure out what direction they will be taking. Do we have David on the line? That's perfect. Okay, let's get to the phone lines now. Uh, happy to be joined by our next guest, David Amber, NHL Hockey Night Canada Sportsnet host here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, David. How are you? Good. Mike, Jason, good to hear from you guys. Uh, so let's start with the obvious. Rick Tockett's first game in charge yesterday of the Vancouver Canucks. Didn't get a lot of time to meet with the guys, although they had plenty of meetings to try and get caught up. Uh, it started kind of inauspiciously. There were some boos. There was a jersey on the ice. Things progressively got better for Tockett and the Canucks, though. And in the end, as we pointed out in the first half hour of this show, uh, the opponent wasn't great, but the Canucks did thoroughly dominate, and they get Tockett a win 5-2 in his first head coach uh, as the Vancouver behind the bench of the Vancouver Canucks. Curious to get your thoughts on what you saw last night from Vancouver. Well, I was hoping for the ultimate plot twist, and the jersey hits the ice, and then the camera pans into the stands, and there's Bruce Boudreau, you know. <laughs> you know, he's a big wrestling guy. That would have been the perfect, you know, plot twist there. Um, you know, I, I think inauspicious is a good word. It, you know, bottom line is I think Rick Tockett is trying to put his identity on this team, and I think he really told the media what his identity is. Works hard. I mean, he grinded out an incredible NHL career, um, he fought every, you know, tooth and nail for every inch of ice that he had to, to get. You know, he was never considered a fantastic skater or an incredibly skilled player, but he was considered one of the hardest players to play against and a guy who just had a will to win. And I think he wants to have his team take on that identity. Yes, you have skilled players and Quinn Hughes and Pedersen, et cetera, but he also wants a certain level of a work ethic and a structure. So, you know, I did the intermissions last night with, Jamal Mayer is just our little updates uh, from studio. And, you know, Jamal was watching. He goes, you know, for a lot of the guys, this is a great opportunity because if you're a fourth line guy, you can battle hard and sort of say, I need more ice time. I deserve more ice time. If you're a third line guy, hey, I deserve second PP time or, or et cetera. So there's opportunities to be had there. And it's sort of that first impression. And, and I think Rick Tockett wanted to make an impression on the players about what he's all about and the media and the, and the fan base. And the players are now going to try and make an impression on him. And hopefully it'll be a marriage that, that works out well. There's been, as you guys know, like really bad instability in the market for, for some time now. And uh, maybe this will just sort of flatten things out, which is not a bad thing. David, what do you think is more likely? The Canucks sign and retain Andre Kuzmenko or they trade him? Brother. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't, it's hard to have an opinion there. It's just, everything is so unpredictable, right? Like how, you know, how are you going to afford I, I guess a, a lot of it's going to come down to what does this player expect? Right. You know, yeah. he's been absolutely but his resume is all of, you know, 40 some odd games in the NHL. It's just, yeah, it's, this is a, this is very difficult. And I don't know enough about him. I don't know, you know, when Kaprizov came over from the KHL, we kind of knew about him. We sort of knew this guy is going to be potentially a star in this league. I'm not sure Kuzmenko came with that same pedigree or expectation. I think everyone's been very pleasantly surprised with the, you know, what he's showing, but you know, how much are you going to pay a guy in for how many years based on a 40 game resume? So I'm, I'm interested to see how the Canucks, you know, navigate this, but, but it's, un, it's undeniable the skill levels there. And what really was impressive last night, it wasn't just the skill level. It was the will level. I think Jamal pointed out really nicely um, in, in sort of highlighting what Kuzmenko did on his goals. He didn't just circle around and the puck ended up on his stick. He had to fight the hard places. He had to beat Jake McCabe to the right spot in front mm -hmm. of the net, knowing Pedersen had the ability to make that cross scene pass. Those are things 
you know, it's not a matter of teaching a guy. It's a matter of a guy having the hockey instincts and the will. So those are important things. You know, wh- where he's going to end up, I don't know. And I guess, I guess part of the equation will be, you know, who's more desirable, Bo Horvat or Kuzmenko? Clearly, Bo Horvat brings a lot more to the table, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But one guy has X million, you know, millions of dollars. Um, you have to fit under the cap, and one guy doesn't. And that's going to be attractive to some teams. I mean, there's going to maybe be some some decent offers for a guy like Kuzmenko just because he can fit into so many more destinations. So that might play into the equation as well. We're speaking to David Amber, Sportsnet NHL Hockey Night in Canada host here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, I want to go around to some of these other stories from the National Hockey League, David. Uh, the Boston Bruins. So in this year where they just continually set all these kinds of unbelievably gaudy records, Team success-wise, I mean, uh, they had another one last night. So they are the fastest team in NHL history to get to 80 points. That puts them past, like, the teams that they have surpassed are the 43-44 Montreal Canadiens and the 79-80 Flyers. So we're talking about iconic teams in NHL history. And it's funny because this is happening when we always mention Gary Bettman's League of Parity. And there's, you know, so many teams that are kind of in and around the middle. Boston has clearly established itself as the best team in the NHL this year. The crazy part is, is that there's been no signs of slowing down, and we're a handful of days away from February. It's it's nuts, guys. And listen, I, I'll be 100% transparent here. I thought they were going to regress this year. I thought there was going to be problems this year. They start the season without McAvoy. They start the season without uh, Marchand. Um, you know, we weren't sure what Krejci was going to be like after taking off um, playing in his home, uh, you know, Czech uh, country. I, I, we just didn't know what to expect. Would would Swayman and Allmark be enough in that? And they've answered every single, you know, question mark with an emphatic yes. They're fine and they're beyond fine. I, I'm really surprised. And they had that adversity at the top of the season. And it didn't set them back at all. And, you know, hats off to Jim Montgomery. The guys are playing loose. The guys are playing with purpose. They're, there's a togetherness there. It's it's incredible. I um, you know, I'm I'm a little bit reluctant to sort of put them down as an all-time great team. You know, I do think back. You know, when I was a young, young, young wee little guy, the, the Montreal Canadiens in the in the mid to late '70s. I mean, they had a team that I believe lost eight games all year, yeah. and half the team ended up in the Hall of Fame, and understandably so. The Lafleurs and Robinsons and you know, et cetera, Serge Savard, Lapointe, Ken Dryden. Steve shut, etc. I mean, you look at a team like that and you go, oh my God, like that, that was an unbelievably and unbeatable team and an unbelievably tough era of hockey where you had, you know, very good Philadelphia teams, very good Boston teams, and even a decent Toronto team. So, um, you know, it's hard for me to say, here's this team and it's the greatest ever, but what you said is 100% right. I mean, they're on pace, I believe, for 141 points. I mean, that would be the greatest <laughs> number of points. Yeah, I mean, it's great. They have more points. I mean, think about it, guys. They're at 80 points, right? We're not even at the All-Star be, break yet. Yeah, and there's yeah. going to be, what, 10, 11 teams that don't get to 80 points yeah. the whole season. No, it is quite remarkable because, I mean, one of the things that I've been trying to do over the last little bit is figure out who are the elite and then obviously who are the teams that are going to be in buying mode really aggressively as that arms race kind of heats up closer and closer to the trade deadline. So obviously you've got Boston. Uh, the other one that's really come on like gangbusters lately is the defending Stanley Cup champion, Colorado Avalanche, who won their yeah. sixth straight game last night, 3-2 against a Caps team that has got all kinds of problems right now, both in terms of wins and losses and injuries. But I'll focus on the Avs here for a sec. This is the really interesting one to me because they went through the lull. Things got to a low point, and then it almost seemed like everyone was like, okay, it's time to start ratcheting this up, and we know we can do this. Lo and behold, after a bad stretch where we actually kind of openly wondered if they were going to be in that playoff mix, they've ripped off six in a row, and now it's like, okay, not only are they back, but they've got all these guys injured that will eventually rejoin the team, and they could be another team that will be really active at the, at the trade deadline as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, Colorado, I, mean, I wouldn't say we were sleeping on them, but maybe they had a bit of, I think it was a combination of the Stanley Cup hangover, but more importantly, they had to sort of reconfigure themselves. Like we saw Alex Newhook score a beautiful goal last night, and they sort of said, all right, we lost Kadri, but Newhook has slid into that you know, two-center spot, and he'll be fine. And he wasn't fine. You know, It took some time for him to feel what the expectations were of a young player in the game. And now he's starting to round into that, you know, former first-round pick, guy with high expectations, guy with high skill. 
And he's not Nazem Kadri. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying he's now finding himself in that role. The last 10 games, he's been very good for this Colorado team. Nikushkin went out. McKinnon went out. They haven't had Landis Cogger, captain all year. Makar is now out. Manson's been out. I mean, they've had a huge amount of adversity. And somehow they're getting healthy, even though McCarr didn't play last night. They're getting healthy. Uh, and they're getting good again. And, you know, Georgiev also had to establish himself. His first sort of go around as a number one goalie on a team and on a, te- and on a contending team. He doesn't have Shosturkin with him anymore. So there was a lot of reasons for them to get out of the gate slowly. And they did. But here they come. And you're right. Like, they're in the mix, right? Like, Joe Sakic is a very shrewd, uh, you know, person in the hockey community. The moves he made to bring that team from dead last in the NHL to where they are now, um, you know, it gives a lot of fan bases hope. You know, when Jim Rutherford says, you know, we're not rebuilding, we're retooling, and yes, this should all be good in three years, you know, some people are going, oh, my God, what's he talking about? You know, you can look at Colorado as a team that was dead last, you know, five, six years ago, dead last. He didn't fire his coach, Jared Bednar. He made some great moves, you know, traded for Matt Duchesne. They, they should have or traded Matt Duchesne and got a whole haul of players back. And they, um, you know, he has an incredible track record. They should have won the draft lottery the year that they took Kale McCarr fourth. <laughs> but luckily, he was still around at four for them. So they've had some luck and, and some, some great moves. And I'm sure they're going to tweak and sort of see what fits in for them. And, and they, you know, it's funny. We did at one point yesterday hear the Stanley Cup favorite odds to get out of the Western Conference. And, you know, the team that's favored to get out of the Western Conference is the Colorado Avalanche. You know, and that might surprise some people because they haven't been great so far this year. But here they come, and I think you just don't sleep on a sleeping giant like them. David, it's funny in hindsight to look back at Gary Bettman's comments yesterday about tanking, especially after watching the Chicago Blackhawks in action last night against the Vancouver Canucks. And here's what the commissioner had to say. Nobody tanks because we have a weighted lottery. You're not going to lose games to increase your odds by a couple of percentage points, that's silly. And frankly, suggesting tanking, I believe, is inconsistent with the professionalism that our players and our coaches have. Nobody tanks. Our players and our coaches do their best to win. And again, just because you may finish with the worst record in the league, you've got something like a 75% chance that you're not going to get the first pick. A reminder, David, that Gary Bettman is a lawyer. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, listen, I... I do think at the heart of it, and, and I work with a lot of players who are analysts, and no player is going out there to underperform. No player is going out there to, pretend, to um, lose games. They're not. You know, they think yeah. about professionalism, and they do think about their jobs. And why are, why are you going to play your butt off so that Connor Bedard can come in and take your spot? Like, it doesn't even make sense. But um, players and coaches aren't the tankers. It's management. Yes, exactly. And that's the point I'm going to make. It's the people saying, well, Oh, this would be a good time to call up these five guys from the AHL, and this would be a good time for that guy who's, you know, his shoulders been bothering him. Maybe it's good for him to to get that surgery or whatever. They are making a lot of the maneuvering, or they're, you know, and potentially trading key key players as well because it makes the tanking easier. Um, you know, there's not a GM in that in the bottom half of the league right now who isn't sort of sitting there saying, "Are we better to be going for a playoff spot, or are we better to be moving our way down?" Um, the standing, you know, Jamal Mayer said it pretty well last night, you know, it was two, two after two. And he said, you know, Canucks are playing really hard. They're playing really well. They're out shooting Chicago 35 to 10, but this would be a good time to lose essentially. <laughs> like it's funny, you know, Vancouver's 7.5% chance of winning the lottery, very slim chances. Uh, but if they nosedive a little bit more, it could be up to, you know, 13, 14% and, you know, increases your opportunity to land a franchise player. And not even just a franchise player, but if you pick third or fourth or fifth, you know, when you hear the Sam Cosentinos, the Jason Bukalas, the guys who know about the depth of this draft, you could be picking up another very, very, very good player. Just like what Pedersen was taking, what, fifth overall, I believe, right? Correct, yep. After, yeah, right after so McCarr. Yeah, so think about that. McCarr at four and Pedersen at five. You don't necessarily, you know, listen, there's the crowning jewel of Connor Bedard this year, but there's also, it's considered a very good and a very deep um, draft that's going to have some huge impact in three, four years. So it might behoove, you know, the Vancouver's and the Chicago's and the Anaheim's, the Arizona's, etc., to be winning these games in the next two months. So, you know, I, I think, you know, Gary Bettman obviously has to talk about the, you know, he's not going to talk about compromising the integrity of the game, but you know, GMs also have a, a different game plan sometimes. David, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Wednesday. 
Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Take care. Thank you. David Amber, uh, Hockey Night in Canada, Sportsnet NHL host here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, I apologize if I'm distracted, but it's, it's, it's nearing the end of the January transfer window, Jason. Leeds United are working on a big deal. I'm very excited. Leeds United. Did Kyle Laren get moved? Yeah, he's in, he's in La Liga now. Oh, okay. He's playing in Spain. It's hoping kickstart his what, career a little bit. I, I think I read it that it was a loan with an obligation to buy. Yeah. Not an option to buy, an obligation to buy. Yeah, it's... It, they, How the, do they do this? It sounds like they're... It's like a car deal or something like that. Yeah, the European... The entire European football model is is actually very difficult to explain uh, in contrast to the North American one because, like, trades don't exist. It, mm-hmm. does, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen like that. You buy and sell players and... While there are kind of financial rules in play, there's something like FFP, which is financial fair play, which everyone finds a way to stick handle around anyway. It's mostly about the big clubs spending. It's old school NHL. The big teams with the big markets can spend as much money as they want, and you can buy a guy and never play him just to keep him away from a rival, right? So it's it's very different. Like obligation to buy essentially means you go somewhere on loan, Mm -hmm. right? And, And then it becomes... At the end, a trigger clause, and there's a bunch of different clauses that can go into it. Like often, teams will have like, if you don't get relegated, you have an option, you have an obligation to buy, or okay. if you if right. you finish in this particular spot, because mm-hmm. the relegation and the financial hit would prevent you from paying the player. It's it when gets the obligation comes up, can you just be like, I don't have the money? Yeah, you can. You know, <laughs> I'm obligated to pay my employees first, and I'm going to do that. So these things. Oh, I'm do just happen. kidding. Um, yeah. Here's a question that I've already thrown out on Twitter this morning, and we'll see. If we get any good results from that, um, we've talked a lot about the contract that Kuzmenko could get from the Vancouver Canucks if they were to re-sign him. And I think his agent, uh, Dan Milstein, Diamond Dan Milstein, will be on with Donnie and Dolly later today. So I'm sure he'll make some comments. I, I doubt he'll outline the exact contract, but I'm sure he'll make some comments. Um, here's a question that I have for all of you. What do you think the Canucks could get for Kuzmenko at the trade deadline? Because that has to factor into their decision about what to do. If there's a team that comes to them and says, we'll give you a first-round draft pick and we'll give you a prospect, like if they don't consider that, I'd be pretty disappointed as a Canucks fan. And here's another thing. like I, I hope they're at least exploring all their options and not just getting zoned in on, like, we got to keep this guy. You don't got to do everything. At the very least, know what your options are. Um, and I pointed out in the tweet, I was like, I really have no idea what he's worth on the trade deadline because here's the pros, and the pros are very strong. He's been good. <laughs> yeah, That's the most important thing. Um, and his cap hit is very, very attractive in a league where nobody has cap space. So those are the two big pros. Good player, low cap hit. On the other hand, I could see a lot of GMs out there going, if we're talking about a rental here, um, I don't know what this guy will be like in the playoffs. Like, I don't I don't know what we can expect. He's never been in the Stanley Cup playoffs. The game changes in the playoffs, yep. right? I don't know what chemistry he's going to have with my players. He's been playing a lot with Elias Pettersson. Elias Pettersson can make average players look really good. Not calling Kuzmenko average. Right, I sure. think he is a good piece, but I do not know yet if he's a good complementary piece or if he's a good play driving piece. Right. So I don't know. Like some people, like the, re- the replies are over all over the map here. We've got Bruce on Twitter saying he's a unicorn given his cap hit. You could get a first and a prospect for him. Is that oh. Boudreaux? Yeah. It, it it's not Bruce Boudreaux. No. Probably it is not. Bruce Probably B, but not. it's not hmm. Boudreaux. Here's another one. A second and a third round draft pick. Make the second a conditional into a first, depending on how many playoff games he plays. Thank you, Drew. I love how you've already figured out a condition on this trade. Okay, I'm, I've gone back and looked at some of the trades from last year. Um, if, if it's just a straight-up non-package, you're just moving Kuzmenko. I mean, the Flames paid a second and a third for Cali Yarncroke. I actually forgot he played for Calgary. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Claude Giroux trade involved a first-round pick, but it was a more complex deal because it was a package deal. I mean, I don't. it's all over the map. It, 
we always say this about these trades. It just takes one. It takes yeah. one team or one GM to either come out of his boots or one to take Hamannick off your he, off your hands, exactly, right? Like right? that. That's kind of the, the that's a prime example. Yeah. Um. I I look at some of these deals, and you're saying uh, guys get desperate. They miss out on one target, and they hear the tick 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 as they get closer to the deadline, and they want to get somebody in the door. Becomes an arms race to a certain degree. I know we throw that term around. I'd say loosely. if it's not a first, keep him with Petey because of their chemistry. It's just so good. But what is he? Just because you're in love with him. Yeah, no, like, I'm not. This is like keep asking, with, like, do you think we should trade if, your mom? If you can get a first rounder somehow, <laughs> what? No. If you can get a first rounder somehow for Kuzmenko, then yeah, obviously. But I mean, like, if it's not that, then he's keep him. He's good, great with Pedersen. While I put, while I pre- that kind of chemistry isn't just. While I appreciate how adorable you are, you're leaving out the fact that they could keep him to, quote-unquote, hang out with Petey, and that he could, quote-unquote, leave in free agency. Of course. Right, and that's that's the thing. Oh, is- no, but that's not that's not an option. You're either re-signing him yeah, before not, the deadline or you're trading I'm him. not considering that. I'm just saying wh- whether you have the option now to trade him. But don't you him. have to consider the price that he's going to? Absolutely. LeBron? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. If the contract is ludicrous, obviously you would need to move him. You have to move him. I, I guess. I guess the the question becomes then, like, what is ludicrous? Uh, LeBron writes, and this is recently in the Athletic. I would imagine the starting price from the Kuzmenko side would be at least six million dollars a year on a bridge deal. So a bridge deal is two to three three years, and I think that's a huge factor. People are like, you can't sign this guy because then he'll lose all his value. I'm like, on a two to three year deal. What what if you you sign this guy on a two to three year deal, um, that's a reasonable cap hit, and he's going to keep playing with PD, and he doesn't have trade conditions, right? Like he doesn't have any of that. Then you're looking at a really nice asset yes. to add to your books. Like that's a thing in Vancouver. We've been so trained that to to think that as soon as a contract is signed, it's like, well, I guess it's lost all its value. A right? two to three, <laughs> you know mils, what I mean? A two to three year six mil bridge deal. If Kuzmenko keeps going at this clip, is great. I just and don't know Canucks, if you're going to get that. Not on this oh, team. I don't know if you're going to get that. Of course. Obviously, yeah. that's, that's, I don't the, know if that's the risk. That. I would take that $6 million and get better defensemen. Yeah, That would sure. probably be a better idea. There's another angle. like yeah. de- and Deploying the cap space and how easy is it going to be mm-hmm. in order to, to – um, rid yourself sounds awful, but to <laughs> trade uh, Connor Garland and Brock Besser. Uh, we can have this conversation – in the seven o'clock hour. That's right. We got an open segment coming up. Uh, we are going to talk to Jeff Baker from the Seattle Times at seven thirty as we preview tonight's game against the Kraken. It's the Canucks Kraken seven o'clock uh, from Climate Pledge Arena, not Climate Change Arena. Those are two totally different things. Uh, so we'll talk to Jeff at seven thirty. We got an open segment at seven eight o'clock. We're going to talk to Chris Faber of Canucks Army and Canucks Conversation, and we're going to give away a pair of tickets to the Canucks and Blue Jackets on Friday night from Rogers Arena. If you want to get in on those tickets, the Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. You need to send us a what we learned, and you need to add the ticket emoji. Big show, another two hours still to go. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650.